We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The storylines that will define the fantasy playoffs after a wild regular season. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Ben, all this great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, we didn't, I mean, there's so much we want to talk about when we were talking about before the show. We have, you know, this same idea that we've talked four weeks about now that this season, sort of hadn't really been written yet or hasn't really. I mean, it's it's starting to be written. It's all in pockets and bits and spurts. Like the Raiders, for example, have already become a very clear hit for fantasy and that they've gotten very concentrated. They have these two superstars, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs. No one else does anything in their offense, which is great for fantasy. There's some of those things have, have very clearly transpired and, and they look great. But there are a lot of other things that are still so uncertain. And, and you and I were just kind of talking before the show, a lot of the teams that in a lot of these you know home leagues and casual leagues, that are leading them, that are tops in point scoring, we're kind of guessing probably aren't that great. I mean, it obviously depends on the league. And some of these teams that sneak in are going to have a shot to win. I mean, and, and we recognize that as well. It's not just because of the players we like, but you go look at them. You look at the guys that got them there for some of these top teams. And these teams are falling apart. They were just trying to win the regular season to get a regular season payout because they, they're they losing pieces. I mean, everyone's losing pieces. We had another Monday night issue with Kyler Murray and Ramondre Stevenson. A lot of people that needed X amount of points from those guys to get into their playoffs. They don't get it. You get the early game injuries that we've been talking about all season. It's been such a frustrating part of 2022. There has been so many things like that that have defined a frustrating season for for like you and I. We've both played fantasy for 20 plus years. This has been a frustrating, frustrating fantasy football season. If you've gotten yourself into the playoffs, which if you're listening to this podcast, probably all the people that haven't have moved on to other hobbies, and I and I, I commend them for that. If you're listening to this, you're probably one of the sickos that got a team through. You're still playing. I mean, there's a lot of ways things can go. And so we want to hit on some of the stuff, kind of recalibrate and hit on some of the stuff that we think could be really important and impactful for the remaining few weeks. But before we do any of that, the most important thing we have to talk about is that Pierre Strong had an absolutely fantastic Monday Night Football guy you've been talking about all season. Ramondre Stevenson gets hurt. Kevin Harris comes in, performs somewhat okay. But in the second half, they give Pierre Strong 
some volume early in the second half, and he almost seems to earn more volume and, and really kind of carry the load the rest of the way down the stretch. My favorite thing was Troy Aikman sort of seeing the replay on his long run and trying to figure out what happened there and sort of saying, ah, the unblocked safety takes a you know a bad angle here. And I'm like, well, maybe you should give some credit to this running back who looks like a young, explosive Tevin Coleman, who this is the comp that we talked about some in the offseason, reminded me so much of Tevin Coleman on that run where I don't think the safety took that bad of an angle. I just think Pierre Strong was that explosive getting around the corner. I mean, he had some some juice. He did. And Ben obviously brings this up because he knows how excited I was about it. You know that you're an enthusiast and maybe too deep in the weeds when Pierre Strong has a touchdown, has a big play, and immediately you're checking all of your leagues that you maybe had him as the last guy on the roster. Is he still available? Is he still available? Pierre Strong is going to be available in a lot of your leagues. He's not necessarily the best pickup, Ben. We have questions about whether Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson will be able to play. But as you mentioned, Kevin Harris came in first. He's the big back. He's a good pounding back. He's a solid player. And especially in that offense, probably can be fine. But Pierre Strong is a potential star. And especially with the way he's blocked and with Ramondre Stevenson maybe being a top five back in the NFL right now, I mean, probably blocked more or less for the long term. But, I mean, Strong and Rashad White are two guys who kind of go together for me. Players who had interesting paths to the NFL. Obviously, White plays his final couple seasons there in a power conference. Strong ends up with South Dakota State. Has a lot of good seasons, not just the final one. And Strong a little bit smaller, but he's also actually quite a bit faster than Rashad White, who's very athletic back in his own right. When you're looking at these guys and how athletic they are, there aren't too many backs who have the 4.37 speed that Strong has and who's demonstrated that he can do it on the football field. Now, for a lot of people are going to say, if you can do it against small college competition, that's a very different thing than being able to do it in the NFL. And that's why it was cool to see this because he gets to the edge, like you mentioned, and he was flying, absolutely flying. There just aren't that many backs. And it's kind of a contrast to the situation with J.K. Dobbins, where he comes back this week, averages more than five yards per carry before contact. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, even really like a, a broken down shell of himself, he said it after the game. He's like, I'm not anywhere close to being there. I can't get caught on that long run. If I'm myself, I never caught. But I mean, he's still making those lateral moves that most backs can't do. And he added a lot. I mean, the Ravens win this game because they have one player who can make some guys miss and can move the ball forward a little bit. And obviously Mitchell Trubisky throws the three interceptions. But you compare how Pierre Strong looked on his run versus J.K. Dobbins and how, you know, more or less blows a flat tire, (laughs) you know, 20 yards down the field, just night and day. And for a guy who doesn't weigh in, all that big, just around 207. Strong's also not a, a small guy out there on the field. I was excited about this. It gave some juice to the Patriots. Obviously, they were competing with a t- an Arizona Cardinals team that had all kinds of trouble. But there were ways for this game to have gone pear-shaped for the Patriots if Harris and Strong don't come in there and do a little something for them because obviously their passing game, it's not what drives their offense. Yeah, and you know, I maybe didn't mention this, but I think our listeners – remember sean all the talking you did about about pierre strong but um i got a couple messages right away that you know there's sort of no doubt that pierre strong was going to do something this year because of the way that you talked about him sort of all off season and we talked about him just a couple of weeks ago 
as we went through the different running backs that might be the best bets to, to stash. And we made him kind of a joke. I, I don't know if you remember that show, but it was I was giving you a hard time that he was so buried that there's really no way he was going to get on the field to even show that he's good. Obviously, you and your crystal ball, you see the future and knew that he was going to have a 90-yard and plus a touchdown game out of nowhere on Monday Night Football. Obvious, I mean, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson's health ahead of him are going to play big factors, like you said. But he looks good enough that Belichick rewards guys like this. I mean, I, I could see him now getting a couple opportunities at least to be a change of pace type. He's a different type of runner than Stevenson, than Damian Harris. I mean, those, those guys are very good running backs too, as, as you mentioned. But Strong brings something different. Very vertical runner in my mind where when he gets downhill, he's going really fast. But like explosive like you know I, I i don't know vertical is the right word whatever but like downhill runner whatever but not like big downhill runner i, I don't know straight line speed I, I don't know how to explain it i'm not a running back scout but um explosive is really you know probably the best word he gets going and he'll pack a punch like you said he's not a small guy but yeah really fun to see him and see those you know you watch like any film on him, and like you said, he's from South Dakota State. And you're like, yeah, I mean, he looks like the fastest guy in the field. It's like, you know, against this level of competition. But then you watch him turn the corner on an NFL safety and go for 44 yards on the sideline, and you're like, hey, that translated to the NFL. I mean, that's it's exciting to see right away. And one of the things too that you again it doesn't always always translate, but I do think that it's important. And one of the things we always encourage listeners to think about is how production is a great signal. And, you know, someone like a Jonathan Taylor, for example, there were questions about how his long runs from college would translate. But when you have somebody with that level of athleticism, but also where they've done it to where you can tell the vision isn't terrible. I mean, these guys who come out, you know, every four or five years where they have the four, you know, three, five, 40, but were the third string back on their team in college. There's something there that was keeping them from being able to manifest their athleticism on a football field even if it's at South Dakota state, I'm like, you can find the holes. That part is important yeah. too. The guy that you just described is probably Isaiah Pacheco. And I mean, I think he's played better than I expected, but I saw a lot of hype about his run late to seal the game where he kind of ran over the one guy and then got physical with the second, but kind of went down there, got about a 10 yard gain to, to convert the first down that helped the Kansas city salt to win the game, but both hits, he, you know, he gets so lowers his head and, you know, so uh, demonstrative, you know, we, we joked a few weeks ago, or I did that you talk about these backs that have no wasted movement and that's not Isaiah Pacheco. I mean, he has, he looks like a, I don't know, an explosion every time he runs the ball. He's been good. I wouldn't say that there's anything that I've seen from Isaiah Pacheco as a runner that I'm like anything other than look, you're the lead runner on the, the Chiefs, So you matter. And, and he does matter. Clyde Edwards, the mattered when he was the leader on the chief chiefs. And we know that he, frankly, wasn't very good and ultimately, you know, overstayed his welcome a little bit. But that dude was a top 10 fantasy running back before he got benched, basically. Pacheco still matters. But I, I mean, I don't know if this is a hot take for some or for others, it's obvious, but probably there's some that would be like, you're ridiculous for saying this. I feel like what we saw from Pierre Strong just on seven touches on Monday night was more impressive than anything we've seen from Isaiah Pacheco all year. Yeah, I mean, he's a better player. That doesn't necessarily mean he'll be better for fantasy because two very, very different situations. It's cool to see him do this. It could be something that actually matters in his career. He lost the Patriots a game by running into the, the punter. And, I mean, the Patriots do, don't care for mistakes that cost you games. 
So to be able to come out here and you know make this statement, really cool for him. And I, it's tricky in a backfield like New England where you feel that there will be a lot of splitting in the future regardless of what happens. And yet what Stevenson has been able to do this year, I think, again, illustrates how it's important not to look at certain teams and think that out into eternity that they're going to have committees that destroy fantasy value. And obviously you have Josh McDaniels leave, but even there, I mean, he goes to the Raiders and now Josh Jacobs is one of the biggest hits of the last decade. And so he's been able to create a single back as well. It's important to look at the players individually and think through the scenarios that it could occur without placing so much emphasis on some of the historical elements that aren't necessarily going to carry forward. So we'll see. Pierre Strong, an interesting player there. Obviously, the big news, the loss of Kyler Murray. But I was kind of going through this, and it's just you talked about it a ton in the offseason, and I think it has ended up being the biggest storyline of 2022, carrying all the way through all of the changes with coaches, with quarterbacks, with elite receivers, all of the uncertainty that accompanied all of that. But then to really kind of exacerbate the issue, we've had all of these quarterback injuries and then also quarterback replacements. So by my count, we've had 15 quarterbacks who have been injured and missed a meaningful part of a game. In many cases, obviously multiple games. And then four additional quarterbacks who have been replaced, including the situation now where the Falcons are going to go to Desmond Ritter, I guess, and or you can put Mariota in the injury category as well, since there is now an injury they're claiming there as well. That means you only have 13 QBs who have sort of emerged unscathed. And even some of those players, like a Justin Herbert, have not gapped. I mean, Russell Wilson's on that list. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's some guys on that list that are not good. What, anyway. And, and I, I mean, obviously, I was talking with Connor O'Driscoll, obviously a great fantasy football mind, best ball guru extraordinaire. You know, he was saying that he thinks that some of the quarterback inefficiencies will be taken out even more next year. We did some underdog resurrection drafts where you could see quarterbacks going in the first round. Kind of a cool takeaway since he's a, a foundation piece on our main event team that is now into the tournament. Jalen Hurts actually goes to number one and now finishes ahead in the fantasy regular season of Mahomes and Josh Allen. You obviously have those three stars. You have Joe Burrow overperforming. Obviously, a lot of our best teams, if you look at best ball, for example, are going to be Hurts Burrow teams. Those are two guys in the window that we targeted very heavily. The big blow, obviously, losing Trey Lance as a third guy who was kind of filtered into a ton of those teams. That makes it a little bit more difficult. Do you have kind of immediate takeaways here? I, I've i always liked to play Dynasty Superflex with kind of the, the, the bargain barrel options. And I know that's... Maybe not something that is as directly relevant to all of the listeners. Maybe that's not what they're interested in. But there are ramifications for that back into best ball, back into redraft. You have some late round guys like uh, Trevor Lawrence with this huge game here. I mean, for many people, the Lawrence kind of emergence probably came too late. But obviously, you have Tua. You have Justin Fields. He's another one. I mean, 
part of what happened this season is that the best late round picks were either inconsistent enough. I mean, many people who drafted Tua cut him because of the multi-week issue there with the concussions. Justin Fields, obviously, many people cut him because the first month, 11 points per game. And then he goes on to you know be right there with the absolute stars ever since. And then Trevor Lawrence, you know, even a couple weeks ago, there are still a lot of questions about whether or not he's a bust. And now, I mean, there's a temptation to, to put him back into that generational category after how they looked against the Titans, or at least that there's that possibility. Quarterback is going to be interesting in the fantasy playoffs. It's it's hard for it, it's just so frustrating to have Kyler Murray go down. We talk about how this season has been destroyed by injuries. I have a lot of teams that advanced that <laughs> have Kyler Murray, so that part is disappointing. You and I have him on our road of his Triflex Dynasty team, so now we're gonna try and win the playoffs <laughs> with Derek Carr and just random dudes in the super flex spot. It's it's been tough. It's been frustrating. Patrick Corain and I had a huge week this final week to get into the Triflex playoffs at our pretty high dollar league that we did. And so we were very excited about that. But Justin Herbert was our pick at the 103. He definitely hasn't lived up to that status by any stretch. And while you have to feel good about that for the long term, when you pick these quarterbacks really early and they operate a little bit more like replacement value types of guys, one of the things with this season is that in some of these super flex leagues, maybe even more than in redraft formats, all of those players then become options to fill back through for people who didn't have the depth. And so you're sitting there thinking, I've got the quarterback position solved. I've got two, three good players. You start to lose those. And the people who weren't prepared now have all of these options filtering in. There's a lot going on at the quarterback position beyond just what it means for teams and wide receivers. And one of the problems with quarterbacks is not only is the injury rate really high, but then you look at Justin Herbert losing Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. I mean, you can lose that both ways. The quarterback himself can get hurt. You can have Arthur Smith calling plays for you, or your receivers can get hurt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. That brings us to the win bet game of the week. The Tennessee Titans and Jacksonville Jaguars have a little bit of a shootout that more or less only one side participated in here. Massive breakout performance from Evan Ingram. You have Trevor Lawrence continuing to emerge and finally starting to look like that generational prospect that everyone expected him to be coming out of Clemson. But this one, an interesting game because you see some of the dynamics of the 2022 season more or less magnified where the Titans give you a a perfect example of how running the ball effectively and stopping the run stone cold can actually be a pretty failed approach. Now it's complicated a little bit by the fact that the Titans commit four turnovers. You obviously can't commit turnovers while you're trying to execute that type of game plan, but they were utterly dominant in wiping out Travis Etienne, his yards before contact in this game were negative. He's hit on average behind the line of scrimmage, negative 0.2. His game is terrible in part because he continues to not be involved as a receiver, which I think is very, very frustrating, especially as you see the team actually get it going, open things up, score a bunch of points in this game. On the other side, you have Derrick Henry, who scores a touchdown and goes for almost 100 yards in the first quarter alone. And then for fantasy managers who had him in on this crucial week, and, and we were actually facing Henry in our FFPC final. So when the tap shut off, I was very grateful for that. But he has this amazing first quarter and then more or less nothing else. He has two fumbles, including a game-changing one inside the Jacksonville 25 near the end of the first half. The Titans leading 14-13 at that point. If they go in and score there as opposed to turning the ball over, this could be a very, very different game. But I have to think that watching this game, there's a little bit of a hangover from the GM being firing. But from an ownership perspective, they're also looking at this game and saying, yes, this is not exactly how we want the team to be built because this type of game plan and this type of outcome, a situation in which Ryan Tannehill actually performs okay. And you get a a really cool game for Chigakonkwo. But this is not how they foresee the Titans being two or three years from now. I don't know what the Titans want to look like two years from now. I've I've been questioning what they've been doing since the offseason. They traded on AJ Brown. What I, I have no idea. I'm really curious what your thought is on that. It's <laughs> a pretty big rebuke of the whole way this roster was built because I mean, we learned that right away. Weeks one and two, they needed Traylon Burks to be their receiving weapon. Robert Woods has not been that guy. Nick Westbrook Akine should be a fourth receiver, probably, maybe a third. Probably not if you want to win. Instead, they're running him 95% of the routes every single week. The Oconquo stuff has been really exciting and cool, but I think really what you see there is, I mean, Austin Hooper's still playing more as a main tight end. Oconquo is basically in the old Anthony Ferkser role to John Smith, where you have some sort of designed plays for him. He's not even running a ton of routes yet. But I think what you're seeing is it's like, this is the only guy 
that has anything, any juice in the passing game. So we have to call up more of these shots to Okonkwo. Play action, you know, first read is going to be Okonkwo on this play. And he's looked great. But, I mean, they got nothing. I guess I would turn it back to you and say, I don't I don't know what the Titans want to look like in two years. What do they want to look like in two years? Because they look like a team that has thought for years that Derrick Henry is going to be their lead runner forever, and that's all they need. And they never really need to develop anything else. They can just be a run-heavy team, play-action pass. You can trade away A.J. Brown because he's actually, you know, just benefiting, I guess, off play-action or, or something. I mean, again, obviously this gets the GM fired, but probably not a great idea to trade away a player like that in your passing game when it's leaving behind what you've left behind. And in a couple of years, Derrick Henry might not be there anymore. So what? 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 Are, I'm very curious what you think the Titans are headed towards. Yeah, this is a team in transition, and I'm excited now for Burks and the prospects because I think there's been such a strong signal from ownership that they expect this to be a team that's built more like the Cincinnati Bengals or the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, even the Philadelphia Eagles, the team that they traded AJ Brown to, where teams in the passing game are trying to build more strengths into their roster as opposed to not necessarily having the overall number of weapons that you need and they're building flexibility into it in order to be able to handle different defenses one of the things we talked about in last friday's show was kind of interesting this idea of the dolphins not being a team that would capitulate a team that could sort of establish their will in the game and then we saw a, a true dud from Tua where it, it really looks like Jalen Waddle is limited to the point where he's almost a decoy still getting open a few plays he drops a key pass early that really set the tone from that game but then from that point mostly what we saw is the really weak arm strength from Tua and not this elite anticipation and accuracy that we've been seeing most of the season but you contrast what the Ravens did and the Titans did and this idea of kind of getting back to not the basics, but this macho approach where we're going to impose our will and we're going to do that through the ground game. We're going to limit possessions. We're going to use the defense, but we're also going to shut down scenarios. And you contrast that with the Philadelphia Eagles who have some similar elements to their team, but instead they wanted to be able to be explosive. And I think that Expected points isn't necessarily the best way to analyze the quarterback position, but I think when you are looking at these quarterbacks, and especially the really high-scoring quarterbacks and trying to figure out how they're doing it, Hertz's numbers are very interesting because he's at 15 expected points as a passer. He's at nine expected points as a rusher. That combination obviously gives you 24 EP, which is up there with Josh Allen, but the balance allows them to take it on a week by week basis where we've seen him have these massive running games. He can obviously throw the ball for 300 yards, even when they lose Dallas Goddard. Then they have a situation where suddenly Devontae Smith gets much more involved in the games. And I mean, Devontae Smith has actually been a couple of very near misses from massive, massive games. And he misses getting his foot down in this last game. He fails to make a circus catch. They're going to get Goddard back. Hurts also well above expected in both areas. I mean, you look at his passing FPOE and it's right up there with Patrick Mahomes because they added AJ Brown, instead of saying like the Ravens said, instead of saying like the Titans said, okay, we can get by with lesser talent in the passing game, 
because it's going to be a run-based offense that we play off of that. Well, number one, you don't want to be in that situation in the first place. You want to be able to beat teams in so many different ways that their game plan, it's not irrelevant, but it's not something where you've got to go to your second best way of playing if they have a strength. You can attack them either way. But then also, if you have an injury, like the Titans have had with Burks, like the Ravens have had with Rashad Bateman, then suddenly you have huge depth and talent problems. Whereas you look at the Eagles and they lose Dallas Goddard and they're still firing on all cylinders. I think that that approach, whether you do it through the draft or through free agency, through trades, is going to become more popular, especially as it becomes more difficult to score points. I've mentioned Ben Solak a few times on the show. Uh, I think he's with the ringer and he did another great breakdown this week on Miami's offense and the struggles they had and how the Chargers just basically tried to take away that deep middle of the field. We've talked about uh, on the show and I've written about and stealing signals. Our, our buddy Pat Rain was the first one to kind of get me onto that several weeks ago. And I know it's been a popular discussion point, but I remember way back when Pat mentioned it to me that both Tyreek and Waddle were, the, they were the top two receivers in the NFL in receptions and the deep intermediate portion of the field. Uh, and I think Gasicki was like fourth at the time. And it was just like, it was absurd, right? I mean, two was completing way more passes to this area that has been shown to be more efficient to attack. And people have not been able to take that away from the Dolphins for whatever reason. And so you think this many weeks go by, you, you kind of think it's just schemed so well that, that, that it's hard to take away, right? But Solak break, broke down with the Chargers that essentially when they were, there's one specific look where they like to bring Tyreek Hill in motion and run him kind of behind where Waddle's already stationary and, and get like motion him into a stacked look basically. So they're both going in the same sort of vertical plane. The defense knows that one of those guys wants to break to the middle of the field in that scenario. So what they did was they just basically lined up both of their cornerbacks with very heavy inside leverage basically taking away any in-breaking route and they still have the safeties positioned in a way that's like we know that's where you're trying to go even though we have inside leverage with the cornerbacks your guys are so fast they might beat us we still have a safety back there too it was just is like a box in one defense in in basketball or something where you're just you're so clearly trying to take away one thing and and ben did a great job as well of showing a play where then the dolphins tried to rebound and get those guys to break out at that point at that point, if the safeties are in the middle of the field, the cornerbacks are playing inside leverage. You should have the outbreaking route, but Tua just wasn't didn't throw the pass on the play that he showed. More or less, wasn't comfortable making that long of a throw. I mean, he likes to attack the deep middle. It's interesting, you know. There's a lot of different. You're talking about the team building element of these teams, how well Philadelphia has worked. I think there's a lot of different schematic things that are interesting as well. Miami right now going through a transition period where defenses, and apparently San Francisco did this to them a decent amount as well. But the, you you have defenses now that have sort of got, you know, the quote unquote blueprint of what do you want to take away from the Dolphins? Now two and the Dolphins have to figure out ways to respond, to have a counter punch. To, to, Tua's got to get comfortable throwing the outbreaking patterns. If they're going to give him that, if they're going to play massive outside or inside leverage, you still have that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle speed. If they're breaking the other direction, you might not be as comfortable throwing to the boundary from an arm strength perspective. You're going to have six yards of separation if the cornerback's already playing two yards inside and you have Tyreek Hill or Waddle. So it'll be interesting. The the Dolphins for the last two weeks. I mean, I, I, I think your notes on Waddle maybe not being healthy are, are very interesting. It's also just 
a problem that Miami has not run 50 offensive plays for either of the last two games. They've been in the 40s. They've been league low for two weeks in a row, basically, in, in play volume because they can't sustain anything. They are willing to throw, but these defenses are taking away the sort of the one thing. And the question for them now becomes, are, are you going to turn into like Chip Kelly, where it's, oh, that was just a gimmick. Once it was figured out, you're you're done. Or do you have counterpunches? Do you have answers when when teams take away the things that you are relying on to be as efficient as you've been as an offense? I got to think that they have answers because, number one, they've been this successful for this long. And number two, you just watch those plays where teams are trying to take away this inside leverage and everything, and there's a lot more space that you can find ways to attack. There's one-on-ones in other parts of the field. One of the plays, Ben did a good job of showing. Kasicki's in a one-on-one, and the ball's got to go to him on that play. It's like Tua just wanted something that wasn't there to be there. But you start to read out other routes and, and these things. At any rate, it'll be really interesting to see how they develop. You were mentioning that Tennessee sort of moving that direction. And I, I, as you were talking about that, I was thinking in my head, like, you got that from from this Tennessee team from, th- from this week? Like, have you seen some quotes or comments on that? Because I, I did not expect you to go to where you were thinking Tennessee is going to be moving toward playing like the Chiefs and the Bills. No, I, I just – that has to be the blueprint when you see the weaknesses that they have and you see these teams like the Titans flame out in the postseason. The, the blueprint is just so clear at this point with the Bills and the Bengals and the Chiefs, and then you see the Eagles go out in the offseason and put that type of team together as well. The flexibility and the high-end talent – at so many different spots so that you're not one dimensional, like you just mentioned with the dolphins. Now the dolphins added Tyreek Hill. And I think that that and the overall coaching acumen of that team is going to win out in the end, but it will be a question of Tua and these limitations that he has. How do you work within the skill set that your players bring to the table? One of the problems that you have with the Titans is it has to be a certain way. It has to be run based. It can't be a four turnover type of game. It's a little bit what we saw with the Browns because their whole move for Watson and obviously there are all these outside of football issues that are very significant and meaningful but from a football perspective they're trying to add someone who can make them more dynamic who can take them away from this one-dimensional type of game and yet the early results have been interesting you have Nick Chubb coming into the game averaging 13.6 expected points those 4.6 points above expectation, which he just like clockwork delivers, you know, week in and week out, year in and year out, averaging over five yards per carry and 19% evasion rate. In this game, his EP is just right at 11. He's at minus 2.5 in terms of fantasy points over expectation. He's even worse than that purely as a runner. His evasion rate down at 7%. So you've injected Watson into this offense, and yet the early returns have been weird and the passing returns have been inconsistent. They had a gigantic leverage play in this game where they bring in Jacoby Brissett to do a fourth and short where it's a trick play. And he actually tries to throw along for a touchdown has Donovan people's Jones open, but misses him. It doesn't always work. And it certainly doesn't work immediately. And it doesn't always work if you have someone who's bringing a lot of baggage and then hasn't played for a year and a half. But a lot of these teams that have, the elite running backs still seem to understand that even a team like the Eagles, where they run a ton, I mean, Miles Sanders has been one of the league winning players of the season. 
And yet having the flexibility to win in a variety of ways and to beat you through the air is going to be the way in which some of these offenses have to be predicated in the future. And you can see that even like a team like the Chiefs and the Bills, both of those teams so frustrating from a running perspective where you're always expecting Devin Singletary to break one or someone from the Chiefs to seize the full load and become a star. And instead we get a little bit of the running back carousel in those situations. That's what you have to have to win. And that's not you know in any way provocative or controversial, but it is interesting from a roster construction perspective on some of these individual teams, even the good teams, I'll be interested to tra- track the Baltimore Ravens in the offseason when they've had another year where Lamar Jackson has been inconsistent in his overall play, another year in which he's dealt with injuries, and another year in which they haven't built up the rest of the offensive roster in a way that is dynamic enough, even though at different times they've had a lot of cool pieces. Well, then that will bring us to pretty much the end of stealing bananas for today anybody listening who has noticed a little bit more gravel in ben's voice he's dealing with a a somewhat serious illness but it's playoff time and you've got to show that toughness and play through it so ben has done that today before we go we're really excited we appreciate all the well wishes obviously we're rooting for all of our listeners and listeners had some huge results this week that part was really cool ben you and i we got 188 in our main event finals we were able to make it through the team scored over 400 in the two weeks a lot of the players that we kind of touched on briefly today we either played or played against that team now i I can't help but be excited for i mean you know going into a big tournament field that there are going to be a lot of other great teams but this is a jalen hurts team that has christian mccaffrey as the first round pick it's got Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown. We did play Jerry Judy, and that worked out where he goes for the three touchdowns. Kind of crazy on that one. Garrett Wilson, another fantastic game. Not a huge stat line, but considering the opposing defense and what they were doing to try and take him away, Corey Davis goes out early. So, I mean, the weather in that one, atrocious. You have Mike White knocked out a couple of different times. He guts it out to come back in and play. A really fun result there, and we're excited to see what this team can do in the tournament. And we know we have a lot of listeners who are in various tournaments that they are excited about as well. It's funny, Sean, because we talked about this team. I want to say like week five as sort of the the team that we thought was our favorite after you know Trey Lance went down and sunk a couple teams, and a few other guys went went down, and we lose Brees Hall and and a lot of the other team. It's like. Nah. Some of these other teams don't look that great. This is a team we really like. And we talked about at the beginning of the playoffs. We lost another team this week. Didn't advance just this week. Our dynasty team you mentioned has Kyler Murray. Loses him. This is the team, though, that we've been kind of spotlighting and been excited about. And it does win through. the. It, it snuck in as a wild card to the league playoffs, the way the FFPC works. There's two automatic qualifiers to the big shootout for a million dollars. The most points and the highest win-loss. We did not get either of those, but we got into the four-team league playoffs. But you have to win that then. So you have to win two straight games against two of the best teams in your league to reach the shootout. And this team, as you, I mean, we scored 400 points over the last couple of weeks, has done that, has gone out there and and shown that upside that we thought was there and that we've been talking about since about week five is, is the one team we're most excited about. So 
will be very, very fun to track. When we were talking earlier about some of the teams that have had really good seasons so far might not be the teams that win it. I mean, I'm not going to say that we're going to win a million dollars, but I've already spent it, so I hope we do. No, I'm just saying that this is a, this is one of those teams that I look at personally, and what I think is going to happen. And I see Garrett Wilson and A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill, Jalen Hurts, Christian McCaffrey, Zonovan Knight, really excited about adding him to this roster to kind of fill our RB2. We still have some good options as well on the bench. Raheem Mostert, Samasha P. Ryan, if mixing were to miss more time, James Cook. Got some bench receivers, Traylon Burks, Drake London that could, that could mix in. You mentioned Jerry Judy. A lot of, lot of paths for this team that are pretty exciting. So Maybe Taysom Hill will become the starting quarterback for the Saints. That's right. We have Hill on this team as our backup tight end right now. We might need to just make him our starting tight end. I mean, I, I think it's pretty hard to argue that he has, at this point, that he has more upside than, than Gerald Everett or, or some of our other. Those are our only two tight end options on this team, but more than a lot of the tight ends because he started to play a little bit more. And you go look at the tight end scoring, and he's right up. He's like, what, 10 and 6 right now or something? If we can just resist the temptation to play James Cook, that was what uh, knocked us out of our other playoffs last week. Right, yeah. That was that was a tough one, though. I wrote a little bit about that in Stealing Signals, but we would have needed to get all the way to Jericho McKinnon. We had J.K. Dobbins on the bench. We had Pat Fryer on the bench. We got a tough breakout, you know, we played Saquon, we played DeAndre Swift, and we played James Cook. All three of those running backs didn't do very much. So a lot of, you know, could have, would have, should have there, but at the same time, you make the decisions with the choices that you have in front of you and you, you know, process over results type thing. This team here that we've talked about all year, the McCaffrey, Hurts, AJ Brown team, it's, it's going to be a fun one. I'm excited. It will be. So we're looking forward to that. We're rooting for all of you as you go forward in week 15 we know there are a lot of home leagues where you have to win this week we've had some interesting questions about how to go about some of those start set decisions then there's a possibility that we'll touch on a few of those things on the second show that's been a real fun one to do as we look at some of the advanced stats for the approaching week you got to get through those quarterfinals before the semis and finals become relevant for you so this week, a big week, every week now features scoreboard watching. It's just that desperate hope that your guys can stay healthy as you watch on Monday Night Football. That'll do it for us today. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Stealing Lines has a lot of cool betting information for you there, including NBA. If you're transitioning to that sport for some of your betting elements we'd love to have you over at rotaviz we have the coupon code rv radio 2022 for a 25 discount on your one month subscription so if you're wanting to try out the product for a month as you go down the stretch here and we have some of these playoff contests coming up you can do that if you're wanting to give it as a christmas present you can do that as well then it always helps us when listeners subscribe to the feed when they leave us a rating and review when they drop a comment on youtube we love you guys so much we appreciate all you're doing for us in all of those different areas you're the best. Good luck on Thursday Night Football. We'll talk to you soon.